So 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 to 25. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if, we, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks, Steph, for that. Uh, It'll be a great help if you have that passage open in front of you as we work through that together. Uh, Well, there's a big question that everyone gets asked at some point in their life. Uh, It's a question that you've probably asked yourself. Uh, Maybe you've journaled about this question or vlogged about it. Maybe you got asked this question uh, in some weird intro tute at uni. Uh, Maybe your great aunt has asked you this question, even though you haven't seen her uh, for 12 months. You've bumped into her at this family do. Uh, The question is, what is my calling in life? There's lots of ways you could answer that question. Uh, maybe it's a certain job that you've got your, your heart set on. Uh, maybe it's a particular ministry, a way of serving at church. Uh, maybe it's not that concrete. Maybe your calling is just to be authentic, to live with no regrets. What is my calling in life? It's a big question, isn't it? Uh, now, we're just going to leave that question there for now. Uh, We're going to come back to it. Uh, It's like uh, in one of those TV shows where they show you what happens at the end and then you wind right back to the start. You'll just kind of forget that I asked that question uh, and we'll come back to it at the end. Uh, But I promise when we do uh, that Peter would have given us a new answer to that question. What is my calling in life? Uh, Now, as we dive into 1 Peter, it's helpful to know that Verses 11 and 12, those ones at the top that Steph so helpfully read for us, 
Uh, they represent a bit of a gear change from what we've looked at the past few weeks. Uh, Peter has given us some great gospel truths about what God has done for his people, his vision for how we should live in light of that as exiles looking forward to our eternal home. But now he's going to help his readers apply those truths to the situations that they're in right now. Uh, But it's worth saying some quick things about those situations. Uh, I know when I have a cold, all I can think about is my nose and my throat. I just think back to those times four days ago when I didn't even think about my nose and my throat. Uh, Even though I've got arms and legs and other parts of my body, all I can focus on is the part that hurts. And so in the same way, when we read this passage and we read that we're to submit ourselves to every human authority, or when we see that slaves, A, exist in the Bible, and B, are to submit themselves to harsh masters, that this is a commendable thing in God's eyes, it's hard to notice much else, isn't it? So to help us see all of what Peter's talking about here, uh, not just the stuff that jumps off the page at us, I just want to say two quick things before we dig into this passage. The first one, our culture has a real antenna for injustice, which can be an excellent thing. We're wired to call out and buck out against authorities that abuse their power and to think of times when authority is misused. But Peter and the people he's writing to would have been much more personally familiar with governmental abuse of power, governmental violence, and governmental oppression of peoples than we are. And so it's worth keeping that in mind as we read what Peter is instructing here and how it applies to us. Uh, Secondly, uh, that slides up. There we go. Uh, Slavery is discussed in this passage. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Uh, It's crucial to see that the thing that is being commended in this passage is Christian conduct, not the situations that Christians find themselves in. I'll say that again because it's really important for understanding this passage. The thing that is being commended is Christian conduct, not the situations Christians find themselves in. It's applying the life-changing teaching that we've seen in 1 Peter so far to the very real and very messy situations that Peter's readers are in. Uh, Some great places to see what the Bible thinks about slavery uh, are up on the screen there, 1 Corinthians 7, where slaves are told that gaining their freedom is a good thing. And in the book of Philemon, in verse 16 and 17, where a Christian master is urged to take in his former slave as a brother when he'd have every right to keep him employed as a slave. Uh, There was an article sent out in The Pigeon in Unichurch's weekly email uh, and put up on social media as well uh, that unpacks why this kind of slavery that we read about here might not be the kind of slavery that you have in your mind when you first read it. Uh, So I'd encourage you to look up those passages on your own uh, and I'd encourage you to read that article as well. Uh, I hope those are really helpful places uh, to start if you want to dig into that topic a little bit more. But to bring us back to 1 Peter, what this passage is about, this passage isn't about what to do with bent coppers or a passage about slavery. It's a passage about following the example of Jesus 
in all situations. It's a passage about entrusting ourselves to God in all circumstances. And it's a passage about cutting out sin and doing good for the benefit of those who hate you. Let's pick it up at verse 11. Please read with me. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter says that holy Christians still have urges to sin. And those urges are something that we'll be at war with for the rest of our lives. But either we'll be killing them or they'll be killing us. He says it's a war. Whatever situations Christians find themselves in, Peter says that they'll feel a desire to sin. In that moment, it will look like sin is the way to go. And they're to abstain from it, to run away from it. But Peter says, don't just stop sinning. He says, do good. As other people look at how you live, they should be able to recognize the good in your life. Holiness is something a lot that we've talked about a lot in 1 Peter. And holiness and goodness aren't unrelated. But Peter says that as well as being holy, as well as obeying God's laws, Christians should do good deeds. They should have recognizably good conduct. As God's holy people, their job isn't to siphon themselves off from everyone else. They're to live in amongst, lean into their identity as foreigners, people who act strangely. They've been sprinkled in amongst unbelievers deliberately so that they'll be noticed by other people. People will notice when Christians stop sinning and do good. And when they notice, the result will be that these people will glorify God. The same people who accuse you now, who call you evil, will glorify God. Now, uh, on the one hand, it could be that they repent now, that they see how Christians live and swallow their words, that they put their trust in Jesus because the good deeds of Christians line up with what they believe. On the other hand, it could be that they repent. Sorry, it could be that they never repent. But that when Jesus returns, they'll be forced to glorify Jesus because the fact that he is the ultimate king will be undeniable. And when that happens, Christians will be vindicated and God will be glorified. Both of those are very live options and both are great outcomes. Both are incredible motivations for running away from sin and doing good. Because when Christians do that, it has a direct effect on the glory that Jesus will receive when he comes again. And that is amazing. And Peter says, this way of living has been perfectly modelled to us by the Lord Jesus. Come with me down to verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to, the, to him who judges justly. 
In Jesus' death, he has provided the perfect example of putting off sin and doing good. Uh, Peter says that putting off sin and doing good will mean submitting to all human authorities and earthly masters. And he said no one did that more perfectly than Jesus. And so we should just pause here and notice something about submission. Submission, especially as the Bible uses it, has nothing to do with worth. Jesus, who Peter has described again and again as precious, is the ultimate example of submission. He submitted to earthly authorities and he submitted to his heavenly father. And so it can't mean that if you submit, you are worth less than the one you're submitting to. Peter's teaching on people and powers over them, on slaves and masters, has a clear purpose and a dynamite example. What's the purpose? Verse 11 and 12, run away from sin, do good so that other people will glorify God. And the example, verse 21, submit like Jesus did. And so with that very clear purpose and that example to look forward to, let's explore these two situations in which Christians are called to submit. Let's read from verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Peter says Christians are to submit to the human authorities over them, from the cop at the train station to your king. Your lecturer and your local representative are all people you submit to because of the Lord. And the picture of these authorities in verse 14, it's a pretty positive one, isn't it? Even a government that at times oppressed the Israelite race and at other times oppressed the Christian religion, Peter thinks is a good thing. Human authorities are God's agents for imposing justice and maintaining order. They're a restraint on people who do evil and they're a reward to those who do right. And so here we see something else about submission, don't we? It's not about who is worth more than who. And here we see that submission is actually about flourishing. Submission, when it's exercised, is a beautiful thing. When we submit to the authorities God has placed in our lives, the overwhelming effect is good. It's not perfect, but good things happen when submission happens. The roads are safer when people submit to traffic lights. Your workplace operates smoother when people submit to their supervisors, when they do the work that's been allocated to them. Your lecture will be a lot more bearable when the mature age student in your class submits to the lecturer rather than trying to run the class for him. <laughs> Human authorities are part of God's good design And so, verse 17, Christians are to show proper respect to everyone. Because we fear God, we honour the emperor. So let's think for a moment, how does this fit into that purpose that Peter's given us in verse 11 and 12, of running away from sin and doing good so that others will glorify God? Let's read verses 15 and 16. For it is by God's will 
that by doing good you should silence the, talk, the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Peter says if you really want to stand out, submit. The world thinks that freedom means freedom to break free, to be subversive and rebellious. But everyone thinks that. By being subversive and rebellion against human and rebelling against human authorities, Christians would just be joining in with the very normal way of living. They'd be joining in with very normal sinful desires. Because at the root of the desire to rebel against human authorities, it's the desire to rebel against God, to live our own way. Peter says Christians are to live as God's slaves. If you really want to stand out, Peter says that if you really want people to notice so that they, if you really want people to notice you so that they glorify God, obey the speed limit, pay your taxes, treat your members of parliament with honour and respect, speak well of them, whether you agree with their policies or not. That will make you stand out. Now, there may be extremely rare cases where we will need to disobey an authority over us because obeying it would explicitly cause us to disobey God. But I think as we apply this teaching to our lives and our situations in Perth in 2023, we should ask ourselves, which side of the horse are we more likely to fall off? Are we going to fall off the side where We submit too hard and obey and fear human authorities to the point where we stop obeying God? Or are we more likely to fall off the side where we don't submit, where we dishonour the authorities God's put into our lives so that we text when we drive, so that we jump on social media and slander our politicians, where we join in with the ignorant talk of foolish people instead of letting our actions silence them? I know which one of those I'm more worried about falling off. To really drive this purpose home, abstain from sin, do good, so that others will glorify God, verse 11 and 12, Peter speaks to a particular group of people whose lives weren't just kept in check by human authorities, but whose label was a slave, someone who was defined by the human authority over them. Sometimes submission will mean an outcome for the common good, but regardless of whether it does or not, the call is to submit to every human authority. Let's read from verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Now again, it's worth noting, the circumstance is not good. What is good is Christian conduct. Not only is it good, it's commendable. He says it's good if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. The Bible is very real about the existence of injustice in this world. But what is amazing about the gospel is that it transforms our experience of suffering now, even unjust suffering. Speaking to the person on the lowest rung of society, 
who has no upward mobility, who experiences unjust suffering seven days a week, God's word says, he sees what you're going through and you will be commended for it. There will be eternal rewards for you because you have entrusted yourself to God, because you have suffered for doing good, because you've abstained from sin in the harshest circumstances, because you've done good where no earthly good was done to you, because you've wanted other people to glorify God above anything else. Now, you might have a question at this point. Why doesn't God do more to condemn slavery? Uh, To which we should ask, as we always should, what is God's priority? And does that match mine? Does God care more about fixing things here and now or his glory? Does God care more about his people being comfortable or his people entrusting themselves to him? Now, as we flagged at the start, if you'll go uh, to those passages, you'll see what God thinks about slavery. He hates the idea of people being abused and subjected to other people. But our short-term physical circumstances are not God's main concern. When Jesus came, he healed people, but that wasn't why he came. God's main concerns are his glory and that his people would rely on him. And often that means that part of his good plan for his people is that they experience hard circumstances now so that they would rely on him. And the thing we see in 1 Peter and in the rest of the Bible is that hard circumstances are not the end of the story. Hard circumstances are followed by very great reward for those who entrust themselves to the Lord Jesus. Commendation, real, effective, eternal relief from suffering for those who entrust themselves to the one who judges justly, as it calls God in verse 23. New and perfect life with God forever. And so make sure you are running away from sin and doing good now so that others will glorify God. Let's read from verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. In short, don't give your master a reason to beat you. Christians aren't being persecuted when they experience the consequences of their sin. There's no reward for that. Run away from sin. Do good so that others will glorify God. Peter says, if I rail and rebel against an unjust master, all I would be doing is showing them that I think I should be in control and not them. Submitting to an unjust master shows them that I think God is in control. Our obedience to our masters isn't dependent on them being good. It's dependent on our fear of God. It's his commendation that we're looking for. Now, uh, we have far more freedom and lifestyle options uh, than the slaves Peter writes to, but first century slaves were often managers, overseers, and trained members of different professions. They were normally paid for their services, and some could expect to purchase their freedom, having paid off the debt that brought them into slavery in the first place. 
And so as we think about how this passage applies to us, thinking about work is a very legitimate thing to do. Understanding Peter's purpose and following Jesus' example at work will mean that we submit to our bosses. The thing they should notice about us is our good deeds. Even when our bosses are mean, prone uh, to bending the rules and valuing profits over people, they should be able to notice who the Christians are in their company. Our actions should speak very loudly about who it is that we fear. We have opportunities to do great good while submitting to our bosses. Now, uh, you'll know that work should never be our main thing, but Christians shouldn't be quiet quitters either. We shouldn't be people who do the bare minimum at work so that we don't get noticed, who have an attitude of disdain for those in authority over us. As Christians, we can get behind the new initiatives that the bosses are trying to implement at work. We can do what we're asked, when we're asked, in the way that we're asked to do it. Great things happen when submission happens. And even if they don't, we're called to submit now with God's commendation in mind. But, Lindsay, where's the line? How far is too far? You don't just want to be a doormat, right? Where is the balance? To get the answer to that, we just have to read a little further. Let's go back to verse 23 that we looked at earlier. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Both in his physical suffering at his death and also in his death for our sin, Jesus is the ultimate example of verses 11 and 12. No one had to abstain from sin more than Jesus did in his suffering for us. No one had to fight the urge to not submit to earthly authorities more than Jesus did in that moment. He didn't retaliate. Imagine the smackdowns Jesus could have laid out. Wait till my dad hears about this. Don't you know who I am? Jesus says he has 12 legions of angels at his disposal, ready to go. But what did he do? He kept silent. No one has ever done more good than Jesus did when he submitted. He submitted to his father and so he submitted to the earthly authorities. He came down from heaven and he died the death that I deserve to die. And when he did, he defeated sin, death and the devil. No one has submitted harder than Jesus. Submission doesn't equal worth. The most precious person gave the most precious sacrifice in the world in the confines of submission. And nothing will bring more glory to God than Jesus' death and resurrection. No one will be more silenced than the people who've hurled insults at Jesus, who beat him and spat on him. No one will be more silenced than them when they realise that he did it for them. That's the standard. 
That's the example that Jesus has left us. Now, uh, if you follow along in your Bible, you might see some of those uh, verses at the end there are in little quotation marks. Uh, And you might recognize those quotes as being verses from the book of Isaiah that we looked at earlier this semester. The passage where a suffering servant is promised who will obey God like Israel never could. Why does Peter quote these verses here? Well, firstly, because they point to Jesus. Uh, But secondly, because he wants us to see that Jesus' ministry was one of suffering for our sake. Suffering wasn't an unfortunate side effect. It wasn't an extracurricular activity for Jesus. It was through suffering that God brought about his good and eternal plans. And it's the same for us. Unjust suffering was the marker of Jesus' life and death, and that is what we have been called to as well. Remember that question we pondered at the start? What is your calling in life? The answer to that question is in verse 21. If you're a Christian, your calling in life is to suffer. Our freedom in Christ is to suffer like Christ, to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. The one who wants what's best for you wants you to submit to every human authority in your life, to run from sin and do good for his glory. That sounds hard, doesn't it? How could we possibly do that? We do it exactly the same way Jesus did, by entrusting ourselves to God, by entrusting ourselves to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, by expecting that just judge to act. God cares deeply about justice, much more than any of us do. Trusting him will mean we can bear up under immense injustice now. Our view of the future will mean we'll live as exiles now, happy to stand out, making sure we stand out because of our conspicuous lack of sin, standing out because of the good that we do for God's glory, happy to submit to every authority in our lives out of fear for God, joyful at the thought of being able to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who died for us. Why don't we pray? Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that uh, in your strength we are able to cut sin out of our lives and to do good for your glory. Please help us to do that. No matter what situations we find ourselves in, help us to submit to the authorities that you have put in our lives. Would we show people that we fear you by how we act? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.